Hey everyone, this is Elijah Johnson with financeandliberty.com and with us today is James Corbett from The Corbett Report. James, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem, Elijah. I appreciate you having me on. Since we haven't had you on before, did you want to give a basic rundown on your opinion on the global economy right now? Well, I think to understand the global economy and what's happening right now, we have to understand the the greater geopolitical context of what we see playing out in the news right now. And this is all part of one overarching um, agenda and one overarching uh, piece of of of, of uh, geopolitical pyrotechnics that uh, that I think we've been seeing playing out for a long time, and that seems to be coming to a head now. What I'm talking about is the idea, basically, of global imperial hegemony. Uh, being perpetrated, I think, most obviously by the the government of the United States and its allies, but I think not merely so. Uh, this is a uh, really a, a bid for global imperial hegemony that's being t- the, that's taking place right now. Under the the pretext of of uh, the the rise of NATO as as a geopolitical force on the on the geopolitical playing field, but I think underlying this is really the the drive towards a global, uh, a truly global, one world um, imperial for, uh, create a system that's that's being created right now. And uh, so, what I think that is really happening is we're we're seeing the 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 changeover of a process that's been taking place for a long time in the very blatant, very on, uh, very open, and very easily identifiable form of imperial uh, conquest that is military imperial conquest. I think everyone understands that process and how that works. And for example, how the so-called Pax Americana of the world over the past couple of decades since the end of the Cold War is really just a an order that is being um, held together at the point of a uh, the barrel of a gun, basically the uh, the the gun of the NATO allies, and and that order is now starting to manifest in a process, a, an economic and a financial process that is starting to basically eat its own tail, and this is a a, a really fascinating thing to watch, but unfortunately a, a, also a, a horrific one for the potential consequences. And uh, and I, I think when we try to put this out on the table in a way that that makes sense to people in a narrative that makes sense, we we can look at that way that that imperial drive towards uh, American imperial hegemony, and I put America in quotation marks because I don't think that this is actually something coming from the American government, uh, the American people per se. It's coming from the American government, and more specifically, the economic and financial forces that have overtaken the American government, most notably in the hijack that took place. Of monetary policy in 1913 with the creation of the Federal Reserve. But I think in the certainly in the 20th century, what we saw taking place was this process uh, that was identified by uh, Major General Smedley Bus- Butler, the most decorated United States Marine Corps Major General in um, Marines history, who wrote about something that he called uh, gangsterism for capital, where uh, he he said basically that in, in the early part of the 20th century, he helped make Mexico safe for American oil interests. He helped Haiti make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for National Citibank. He helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers, etc. He, he went through this list of conflicts that he'd been involved in that all had to do with basically securing the, the interests of the corporate interests of the paymasters who are really the people behind the American military force. And uh, and I think we've seen that process continuing apace throughout the 20th century and now into the 21st century in places in recent years, of course, including Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, Syria, 
etc. But this process of, of military uh, takeover has really started to turn um, into, into something slightly different. It's starting to turn into basically the, 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 uh, the economic equivalent of this, which is uh, which has always been about the the securing of resources, but is now becoming more and more about basically the the maw, the gaping maw of global imperial conquest, um, turning its attention less from the uh, periphery where these things have been located and more towards the interior. And that's, I think, the process that we can use to understand what's been happening in the European Union of recent years. Uh, for example, the collapse of the Eurozone itself, which is still continuing. It's taking awfully uh, an awfully long time for it to play out. But the, the Eurozone collapse that's been taking place for years now, and uh, most notably in places like Greece, uh, Italy, and uh, Portugal. And also now what's happening in the Ukraine, where we start to see the the real face of what, what was uh, the process and what was at play there in the Ukraine is starting to, to come into view as the, the new um, coup-installed prime minister, Yatsenyuk, is now um, is now basically welcoming in the IMF um, and taking out loans that are going to be completely destructive to the Ukrainian economy, but are of course going to profit those people who are in the positions of power to puppeteer the IMF and institutions like that. And getting into the Ukraine situation, do you see the U.S. or Europe imposing more sanctions, and how would that affect the? I guess starting out with the American economy. Well, I I think that the, the the process that we're seeing right now is is one that it, it relies mostly on bluster and bravado and less so on actual the imposition of san sanctions. And we saw that, of course, with this first round of sanctions, which were targeting basically a few um, key officials in, in Russia, but but nothing of any substance, really. The, the, one of the most substantive things involved a, uh, a, a boycott of a bank in, in St. Petersburg that's based in St. Petersburg that um, – that affected uh, Visa and uh, MasterCard payments that were made in cards that, that had been taken out through that bank. But uh, other than that, I mean, there hasn't been really much significant disruption to the, the Russian economy through the sanctions so far. And I think that's precisely because there isn't a lot of leverage for those types of san sanctions to take place. Uh, what we see uh, happening right now is that the uh, the Western corporate interests that, that have uh, a stake in Russia and what happens in Russia – are not going to allow those types of sanctions to affect their business deals. I mean, for example, uh, allgov.com has been reporting recently about how um, uh, ExxonMobil has some very important uh, agreements that have been signed with with Russia that absolutely will not be affected by sanctions. Um, and we can imagine that ExxonMobil and the powers that are behind ExxonMobil and the other seven sisters of the oil industry um, would not allow the, those sanctions to, to significantly affect their business dealings. So I think there isn't a lot of room for that type of sanction to, to take effect. And, uh, and I think that also, th even if there were to be significant sanctions, even if there were to be something that would significantly shut down, the, for example, the flow of natural gas from Russia to uh, through the Ukraine to Europe, that would really, in the end, only hurt the European economy even further. And I think that that's one of the significant things about the crisis, the, the current stage of the crisis that we've reached, is that we've we've started to to come to the point where the the as I say, the imperial, uh, the gaping maw of the imperial conquest is starting to eat its own tail, and it's starting to eat its own. Um, and this will ultimately, of course, affect uh, and and backfire on the American economy um, by by way of the European economy again if these sanctions regimes are further extended. 
And at a certain point, I think it's not that the uh, people who are putting these types of sanction regimes and other other plans into place are too stupid to realize that this would be the case. I think that this is expressly the ultimate point of this uh, this system. I think what we've seen for again for a long time is this process of basically the devouring of countries, whether militarily or economically, their enslavement to the uh, the IMF World Bank debt matrix has been a, 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 a conscious part of the agenda for a very long time playing out on the peripheries. But it is starting to affect uh, Europe and uh, it, it's starting to come home to, to the United States where we see increasing income inequality um, really starting to intensify as the average person continues to become more and more uh, deprived and uh, uh, at the expense of the very, very few who are profiting to to the tunes of billions upon billions. And this process is, is again, it's not something that was not predictable and in fact is not already been foreseen. I think it's actually part of the process itself that we are starting to see the collapse of the civilization that we've become accustomed to over the past century, the, the, the old world order, if you will, and we're starting to see the ushering in of a new one. And um, that process cannot really take place unless and until we see the collapse of the current system. And I think that the collapse of the U.S. dollar as the uh, global reserve currency is going to be an inevitable part of that uh, move towards the, the global financial and ultimately the, the governmental empire that we're seeing coming into view. So how can the middle class see this affecting them? Well, I think that this process is going to take some time to play out. I'm not seeing this happening in, in the next year or two, short of some sort of cataclysmic event uh, and some sort of World War III scenario, which is a possibility. But short of something like that, I don't see that happening um, in, in, a, in, a, in the blink of an eye. But it is a process that will play out um, certainly in, in the course of the next uh, decade and certainly over the next two decades as we see Basically, the status of the United States uh, economy starting to, to be eroded and its uh, its ability to maintain its financial empire continuing to be eroded by its overextension geopolitically and militarily. Now, how this ultimately plays out for the average person, for example, the average worker in the United States who's basically just trying to uh, save for their retirement, I think that ultimately what we're going to start seeing is all of the, the various pieces of the financial order that have been that have been in place in in this uh, age of the American empire are going to start failing one by one. We're going to start seeing, for example, the uh, the collapse of uh, banking institutions that were previously thought to be sound. We're going to start seeing the uh, the ultimate failure of of social services to provide the the social services that have been uh, promised. We're going to start seeing the, uh, the 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 failure of the pension system, ultimately cutbacks on the pension system. We're going to start seeing confiscations of people's pensions in the name of paying for uh, for governmental debt, etc. And uh, it, it, again, this is a process that I expect will take place piece by piece so that it doesn't look necessarily like an overnight collapse, but it will have the overall effect of basically putting all of those lifelines and safeties and, and things that people have come to rely upon um, in the past century in into question. And when it does so, and as it does so, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to fall through those cracks who weren't expecting this. So people who are 
I, I would say coming towards um, the the middle to late part of their career and looking down that stretch towards that retirement um, through the 401ks, et cetera, that they've been paying into most of their lives are not, I, I think, going to be able to rely on those um, to be able to to retire when and if that time comes. And we're going to start seeing uh, that affecting people on on fixed incomes most uh, most obviously. And uh, and as the that that process of collapse qu- quickens, uh, ultimately, we will start seeing this affecting the, the job market even more so than it already has. And uh, the types of papering over of the unemployment uh, uh, rates, the, the true unemployment rate that has taken place by the, uh, the the U.S. government and the Bureau of Labor Statistics, etc., will become completely uh, un- untenable. Uh, I mean, they already use cooked numbers for the unemployment rate, etc. That will become very obvious, I think, at a certain point. And uh, once that point has been reached, I think that will only further quicken the pace of this collapse because once the credibility of the the institutions, the U.S. government and and the the, the banking industry starts to, to be undermined, then that will only further um, the process by which people will start to, to really realize what's going on and start to withdraw their money from that system, which will further quicken the pace of collapse. So I, I see at a certain point, this will start start to, to happen in a way that will look like a, a sort of overnight collapse. But I think it's a process that we're already living through the beginning stages of right now. And I think this is reflected in the reality of a lot of people out there who are starting to see this in terms of this jobless recovery that we've heard so much about over the past several years that is not being reflected for a lot of people who are finding it very difficult to, to find and maintain real full-time employment. You mentioned that people who are counting on their 401k to provide for them in retirement are pretty much out of luck. I mean, what do you say for people who are in that situation right now? Well, again, I'm not I'm not a financial advisor, so I, I couldn't give specific advice. Obviously, people have to take into account their own position. But I, I think that relying on those types of uh, fixed income uh, retirement plans and uh, and bonds and 401ks and, and things of that sort is not going to be, at a certain point, is not going to be tenable. It's basically going to be um, impossible to to continue to uh, to eke out an existence on, on those things as the U.S. dollar collapse um, begins to, to take place and begins to quicken. And again, we already see this, the, the beginning stages of that collapse, that it doesn't look like a collapse at this current stage current juncture because the US dollar continues to do well compared to a lot of other currencies that are continuing to do poorly. But uh, but we are starting to see the global hegemony, hegemony of the US dollar starting to be eroded by Russia and China and other co- countries that are continuing to do more and more deals not in the US dollar. So as we see the US dollar um, collapse uh, continuing, we will see it becoming more and more difficult for people who have all of their assets and all of their holdings denominated in U.S. dollars to uh, to afford the type of lifestyle that they've become accustomed to, because of course the part of the the the, the ramifications of the global economy that we've been um, engineered into over the past several decades is that now the United States produces very little of what it consumes, and as the dollar starts to lose its value, um, that will of course create a situation where people find it more and more difficult to actually purchase the things that they want. So I think people who have a lot of their assets and all. Uh, holdings denominated in U.S. dollars and in things that are tied to the U.S. economic system are going to find it more and more difficult to uh, to 
to make transactions, which is why I think it's important for people to start exploring um, different ways of of holding their, their the value of their their money in in assets and commodities that cannot be easily tampered with. And of course, the I think the obvious one for a lot of people would be um, precious metals um, like gold and silver, which have more or less held their their nominal uh, uh, notional value um, compared to the the fiat systems of many many countries around the world for for literally for thousands of years now. But I think we can also, of course, leverage the technological capabilities that that we have at our fingertips through through uh, cryptocurrencies and things of that uh, that nature as as another alternative to to the current uh, financial system. And I don't think there's any one silver bullet that's going to be the answer, but I think that it's going to be a lot of different um, things that people can turn to that are not, again, not dependent on the uh, on the U.S. banking system or upon the, 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 the goodwill and nature of the U.S. government or the, the good standing of the U.S. Treasury to back up what they, they have in their uh, in the fiction, fictionals ones and zeros they have in their bank account. It seems like the countries right now that are realizing the place to put your money is gold and silver are China and Russia. They've been accumulating a lot of gold. And if what you're saying is true, that the American empire is failing, I mean, it you know, the old saying with who has the gold has the power. Where do you see the power ending up? Well, I think um, China and Russia would definitely be part of the the resistance block that has formed against the U.S. NATO um, block in this uh, competition, I guess, for global hegemony. But I think that we have to be very careful about the way that we really picture the 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 what's happening here, because I think it, it could be uh, seen from a very naive point of view that, for example, the the corporate and banking interests that are puppeteering the system are necessarily beholden to any one particular um, nation state that, for example, they hold some sort of allegiance to the United States, where I, I don't think that's the case. So I think that the process of the buildup of the Chinese economy, for example, is something that has been absolutely 100 uh, percent uh, back and engineered by a lot of the, the the same people who are now profiting from the collapse of this system. And uh, in fact, we can see, for example, how a lot of the, the business interests that stepped in decades ago, back when the, the, the doors of the Chinese economy were first being opened, are now, of course, profiting from that, that early uh, access that they had, with perhaps one of the most notable examples being the fact that uh, David Rockefeller was in uh, China meeting with, uh, with Chairman Mao before Nixon and before uh, Kissinger um, and Kissinger, of course, just being a, a puppet of Rockefeller. So, so I think uh, that that is a pretty good snapshot of what's happened, and in fact has been perfectly not only known but but predicted for a very long time. In fact, you had uh, researchers like Anthony Sutton talking decades ago about how China was going to become the world's next uh, big uh, center of economic power. So, so definitely China and Russia are are being positioned and have been positioned to be. Um, the the I guess part of that resistance block that does form um, some sort of viable alternative to the U.S. NATO um, hegemonic interests, but uh, I think in the in the very long run, it's going to be the the very the global power players who have existed now for for um, decades in their current form and centuries in in one form or another are going to be the ones that ultimately emerge from all of this. So looking at some of the uh, the global power players, the the uh, the Goldman Sachs's and the 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 Royal Dutch shells and, and those types of business and, and banking interests are probably going to emerge from this overall in a, in a better position. But you're exactly right that Russia and China, 
for example, right now are positioning themselves as if they know that a collapse in the U.S. dollar is going to happen. And uh, Russia uh, has been buying gold at a, at a furious pace in recent years and China at an even more furious pace. And uh, of course, we've just had China update their official gold holdings to show that uh, they they are now um, I, I I can't remember the exact figures off the top of my head, but but now they've de- definitely moved up in terms of the the global um, uh, gold uh, central bank gold holdings charts, and uh, are now importing something like one thousand one hundred tons of of gold per year. China Chinese companies also being now the the uh, holders of of most of the the, the uh, mining uh, operations in the world right now. China is definitely positioning itself as if it knows that a gold is going to be the uh, the gold standard, if you will, for the the monetary paradigm that's coming next. And so I think that this process again is perfectly predictable and is being predicted by a lot of different countries. The one of the only places in the world where this is still being poo-pooed, of course, is in the United States, where uh, where a lot of people are are watching the talking heads on the uh, economic uh, uh, indicators, uh, the the MSNBCs and or the the CNBCs of the world are are still saying that uh, that gold is is a bearish uh, holding right now and people should be getting out of it etc and of course this is uh, this is all part of the smoke and mirrors that uh, is happening right now in in the effort to to basically clear people out of that position even as uh, even, even as uh, China and India and other places around the world continue their feverish demand for gold um, people in the United States are being told that it's um, in their best interest to, to be holding you know s p companies and uh, and uh, US bonds and I think that's going to be a, a pretty fatal um, position at a certain point when the when the real plug is pulled on this economic system so you mentioned that basically currently the banks are running the show and you know in the future it seems like the banks will just continue to run the show even more i mean is there any way that people can speak out against this right now well well you've just hit on the very important part of this which is something that a lot of people have a hard time understanding which is how can the banks profit from a situation in which their their monetary base is being uh, is being eroded so for example how could a uh, bank of america or goldman sachs or or one of the the big six in the united states how could those banking institutions profit if the us economy goes into depression or or something of that sort and that's that's something that for you and i kind of makes sense because obviously if there's some sort of economic depression you and i and and most of the people listening to this conversation will suffer directly from that. But I think it's important to understand that in times of global economic collapse, wealth is not destroyed. It's only um, it's only transferred. And we saw that, for example, in the Great Depression in the 1930s, where the people who were pre-positioned for that collapse ended up profiting immensely from the collapse, not in uh, in not in uh, in absolute uh, numbers in terms of the the, the numbers of dollars uh, in their holdings, but in terms of the relative wealth that they are holding in respect to the rest of the economy. And I think that's the 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 thing that we have to understand with this. And then on top of the, the regular commercial banking layer is, of course, the central banking layer, which are the monetary authorities of all of the countries, which um, themselves collude together in the Bank for, of International Settlements based in Basel, Switzerland. And I think from the perspective of the central banks, 
it's also important to realize that the erosion of our monetary base, for example, the erosion of the, the purchasing power of the euro can be a good thing um, in, insofar as crisis helps to justify further intrusion in the economy. And just as a further example of that, we have saw recently the European Central Bank um, taking even further steps to further unite the, uh, the, the central banks of Europe into a central banking union that has even stronger powers now on the basis of this. And we saw just last week, in fact, uh, the European Central Bank announce the fact that it had completed a new banking union agreement um, in the name of, of course, bailing out failing or, or faltering financial institutions in Europe. So from on the back, on the basis of this collapse, we can see the bank's trying to get more and more power and accruing that for themselves. Now, this is important to understand because it presents to us both the very great peril that we're in right now as a civilization that is being held collectively hostage by the banking uh, authorities, but also it presents to us the, the potential solution to this, which is really that we have to start withdrawing ourselves from the economy that has been structured around us through these central banking authorities with their issuing of this funny money paper um, in, the, in the United States context, con context, obviously, the Federal Reserve notes that are uh, issued by the Federal Reserve uh, through the U.S. Uh, Treasury. Um, it, it, I think we have to understand that our participation in that in that structure, in that institution is is part of the problem and and helps to enable these banks to maintain their hold over us so that when and if the collapse actually does occur in the US dollar then people will be scrambling once again looking to the government and looking to the central banking authorities to to come in and save the day whereas if we can find a way to create alternative systems that bypass completely those Federal Reserve notes and and the banking structures and institutions that have been placed around us, if we can start to do that now, while we still have some modicum of financial independence, quote unquote, then we can start to build the alternative structures, which we can then turn to in the case of that collapse. And there are lots of different ways to do this. Um, but some of them that I would suggest would be, for example, looking into complementary currencies. As I mentioned earlier, of course, there are the cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, which are now stealing a lot of uh, headlines for some of the uh, the less savory aspects of their existence and some things that are that are not great about them. But as one potential possible complement to uh, what we are using right now. I think it is, at, at any rate, it does present a way around the banking structure as it exists right now. And then there are many, 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 many other local currencies that, are, that exist right now and often in people's backyards without them even knowing about it. And uh, I could point to the existence of things like uh, Ithaca Hours or Colorado uh, Mountain Hours or Calgary Dollars. I'm from Calgary, Canada. Um, it basically, in, in every major city right now, there's some sort of alternative or complementary currency that can be turned to. And often these types of complementary currencies seem laughable to people who are looking for, at them from the perspective of the, the almighty dollar. But uh, that's only because people have not really invested in building these uh, community currencies into anything more than what they are um, at the moment. And I think, again, that's to our detriment. The more that we can rely on 
creating alternatives and creating forms for people to be trading with each other directly, trading with their neighbors, trading with people in their local economies, the more we can get around these overarching banking structures that have been placed around us. And I think we have to have a realistic view of what an economy that doesn't rely on these um, banking monoliths would look like. And I think we have to be working towards that. And it can be maddeningly um, slow in terms of progress in, in the creation of alternatives. But I think those baby steps, again, are absolutely vital, especially now um, as we can see this collapse coming into view and we know it's coming. It's only a matter of when, not if. Mentioning Bitcoin, isn't there a possibility that the government could just control that? I mean, recently, wasn't it true that the IRS is now saying that Bitcoin is a property, so now they're going to have property tax on it? I mean, what about the government controlling that currency as well? Well, it, that's absolutely right. The IRS just came out with a ruling that uh, that uh, Bitcoin is a commodity and thus is subjected to all of the taxes uh, that would would uh, befall any other commodity. And I think that that is uh, that is absolutely right. That uh, of course, as, if and when and as Bitcoin actually does, or or any uh, of those uh, the, those types of cryptocurrencies does become any sort of viable threat to the U.S. dollar hegemony, of course, the the governments. Um, of of the United States and other countries will step in to try to limit that effect. And and now uh, rumors of uh, Chinese crackdown on banks trading or allowing Bitcoin exchanges is uh, is starting to uh, to affect the Bitcoin markets. And we've seen a fall in the price of Bitcoin of $100 just in the past week on the basis of that IRS ruling and these Chinese rumors. So there there is, of course, um, a lot of ways that the government can and will get its hooks into these types of systems. But I think that uh, that affects those parts where the, the Bitcoin economy interacts with the, the dollar economy. So for people who are exchanging in and out of dollars um, for Bitcoin, this will affect them and this will affect the way they transact. But Bitcoin as or, or other cryptocurrencies, and again, I don't think that these are perfect alternatives, but they're, they're something. But insofar as they represent pseudonymous ways of participating in agoristic markets that go around the uh, the 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 economy in in ways that are that are not trackable or not not necessarily trackable by the U.S. Uh, go- governmental authorities. It does present a way for people to transact uh, around the world uh, instantaneously in ways that uh, that although uh, the the U.S. government might claim that they have control over, I don't think that they really do. Again, when you're changing your um, uh, cryptocurrency in or out of the the currency of any given country, obviously. Obviously, that country is going to have all sorts of ways that it can get its uh, its stakes in that claim. But uh, but uh, if if this is being done all through through the, uh, the the cryptocurrency and and as that economy starts to grow, the 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 cryptocurrency economy starts to grow, more transactions will take place directly through that, which will not be um, easily, if at all, trackable or or uh, controllable by by the centralized authorities. And I think that's that's one of the promises of this uh, this this crypto cryptocurrency that's taking place, this cryptocurrency revolution. I, again, I don't think it's a perfect solution, and it's certainly not a solution for, for all people in all transactions, but it's at least one more arrow in that quiver that people can use to fire into the heart of the imperial beast that is uh, currently trying to, uh, to basically collapse the world system in a bid for uh, global hegemony. All right. Well, James Corbett, I'm afraid we'll have to leave it to that. Are there any last thoughts you'd like to leave with our viewers before we let you go? 
Well, I think my last thought is that although this sounds like an ex exceptionally bleak message, it is ultimately um, the, the message is what we make of it. And, and my emphasis is always on what people can and should be doing right now to prepare for what we know is coming so that when and if this collapse really does take place in the way that I'm suggesting it will, then the only people we'll have to blame for the consequences of that collapse will be ourselves for not adequately preparing for it. And again, there are lots of different ways to prepare for it. So for people who are looking for all sorts of different answers, not just economically, but um, economically and socially and geopolitically, etc., um, who, people who are looking for solutions on that, I suggest that they go to CorbettReport.com and just type the word solution into the search bar. I've done a lot of different uh, podcast episodes and other other uh, audio and video media on the subject of solutions, whether it be complementary currencies or or 3D printing or, or all sorts of different things on many different subjects. And I think that there are ways that we can combat this and there are ways that we can unite against the problem that we know is happening right now in the name of these overarching banking structures that uh, that are certainly not acting in the best interests of humanity. And uh, ultimately, it, it is a game for all the marbles and it is one that we cannot afford to lose. So it's incumbent on all of us to, to take this information and do with it what we can. And it, again, it might seem like baby steps, but those baby steps are exceptionally important when we are talking about the, the future of humanity that's hanging in the balance right now. Before we let you go, did you want to share with the viewers where they can find you on the internet? Yes, if people are looking for my work, um, I'm associated with a lot of websites, including the International Forecaster and Boiling Frogs Post and Global Research TV and, and many other websites. But I think the one-stop shop that people can use to find all of my work is CorbettReport.com. And if they go there, they can find uh, basically all of my previous work available for free download. And they can also find uh, DVDs and subscription to my newsletter as a way to support what I do. James Corbett from The Corbett Report. Thank you so much for joining us today on financeandliberty.com. Thank you for having me.